Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. Excited to have the next two guests. If you live in Portland, you know the footprint we have in the footwear industry. And I have two um, entrepreneurs who uh, have deep experience in that and have exciting new companies. So um, excited to welcome John Eberly and Brian Lockard of the co-founders of Bala Footwear. Welcome, John and Brian. Thanks Thank so much you. for having us, Dan. So I think this is this resonates with me, what we're going to get into what the company, you know, uh, makes and how you make it. Uh, I have nurses in my family, so I'm really excited to kind of dig into that. But let's talk about who you two are and how you met. Um, it's again, we before we hit record, I, I was saying it's very Portland slash uh, kind of footwear industry story. So maybe I can, I'll kick it over to Brian uh, first to, to, to give a little overview of you and we'll go from there if that sounds good. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I grew up in the Philadelphia area and uh, moved to Portland in 2013 uh, for a job at Nike in corporate street planning. And uh, in my first week there, you know, I was looking to uh, meet friends and uh, I'm a rock climber. So I went to Nike has a indoor rock climbing gym. So I went there and uh, uh, John was there um, climbing on his own. And so I said, Hey, would you like to climb with a person? And so we started climbing together and, um, you know, became friends and uh, started talking business a lot together. John hired me for a consulting project in 2017 when we were both out at Nike, and uh, now we're in business together. So like you said, Dan, uh, it couldn't be uh, more of a Portland story than that. Uh, absolutely. And John, and I know you you predated Brian at Nike and have a, had a great career there before you kind of did some other things. So I'd love to hear about that a little bit too. Yeah, Dan. So I I accidentally ended up in Portland. Uh, it was not a plan. It was uh, I, I grew up in New Jersey, like like Brian and East Coaster, um, and kind of made my way from job to job across the United States with uh, different stops in international arenas. Like lived in Taiwan, lived in Korea, etc. Um, but uh, landed in in Portland uh, in 1999. Um, not knowing what exactly we were going to do, uh, my wife and I, but uh, landed in Portland and realized that this is home. You know how Portland does that to you. It grabs yeah. you with all the trees and greenery and it says, you're staying from here on. And and that's what we did. And, and uh, I was um, actually, I was uh, uh, quite a runner back when uh, I'm old and just running and now not a runner um, huge distinction. And I was, I was, uh, uh, running up mountains and I was actually doing some training runs up and down Mount hood 
and um, met um, somebody uh, up there who was climbing and told me to knock it off that I was, uh, you know, embarrassing the the other climbers because <laughs> I was doing laps up and down. And he ended up being uh, one of the uh, primary recruiters at Nike, and we became fast friends. Um, and uh, he he actually landed me a job. Uh, he's he's no longer with us today. He had a climbing accident, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Michael brought uh, me into Nike in 2001 and uh, was there for 15 years. Wow. Amazing, you know, amazing luck of, of, the, of, the, of the mountains. Yeah, that, um, thanks for sharing both that. So let's get into it. Tell, tell us what is Bella Footwear? Yeah, we're uh, a Portland-based startup uh, where we make uh, premium footwear designed uh, specifically for nurses. So tell us the origin story of how, because you started this during this past crazy year from what I understand mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's in development before then but and how did you choose to, to get in I'm obviously with your backgrounds I, you know, mm-hmm. we all know makes sense of a product that you can make that would really be great but as far as choosing this wine and, and category I'd love to learn about that yeah um so in in 2019, uh, John was teaching at the U of O Sport Product Management Master's Program, which is in their business school here in Portland. And, uh, you know, they were exploring, you know, ideas for categories that could use a brand. An idea of healthcare shoes came up and, you know, John floated it to me as an idea. And at the time, I had been out of Nike for two, for two years, since 2017, and freelancing while I figured out what the next thing I wanted to do in my career was. And I was interested in the startup space because I'd been doing, you know, consulting projects with earlier stage companies mm. and uh, thought it had some legs, you know, worth talking to some customers. And when we looked at it, the, there was just one problem. And that was neither of us knew anything about nursing. Yeah. Uh, we know shoes, don't know nursing, aside from like the handful of times we've had to get patched up or were sick, you know, there was a nurse right. there to care for us. So we made our goal for 2019 to talk to as many nurses as we could um, to, you know, first, of course, understand, you know, is there an opportunity? Um, you know, what does it feel like to, uh, you know, be a nurse? And so it's interesting, those moments that come up when you realize there might be some opportunity here. So uh, a good friend of uh, me and my wife is a woman named Amy Paul Adams, who's a nurse at OHSU. And uh, when we first started interviewing nurses, I gave her a call and said, hey, we're exploring, you know, shoes for nursing. Um, And I kind of felt like I was asking her to do me a favor. I was like, could I like, could we buy you like a glass of wine and talk about shoes for a little bit? And she says, wait a minute, you guys are thinking about shoes for nurses. I've been working for 10 years and I've gone through a couple different pairs every year and still haven't found what I'm looking for. You guys open a bottle, I'll be there, and let's talk shoes. And we talked about shoes for two hours um, on a weekday night. And, you know, it started from there. And, you know, over the course of the rest of the year, we spoke to, you know, four or 500 nurses, you know, all over the country, starting off with focus groups at Cooper's Hall on the east side. And it's amazing how many people you can get to join you when you offer uh, free (laughs) wine and dinner at a nice place like Cooper's Hall. Anytime we traveled, we had a focus group and we came away with uh, some key insights that would inform the business. Uh, first was that there's absolutely an opportunity here. We heard countless stories about the ways that existing options were failing you know, nurses during their 12-hour shifts. And second, what was critical was that 
you know, that, that early insight that we don't know anything about nursing, you know, is important. You know, we, it would, it would be important for us to acknowledge that we are not nurses, we're footwear professionals, and that right. to create a company in service of nurses, we would have to work directly with nurses and bring them into every element of our business because, you know, they'd call it BS on us if it wasn't exactly what they were looking for. So we sought to build our business in a way that would bring the nurse into the design process, the development process, the go to market so that mm. we could, you know, work together with them. And, you know, that it's interesting. Cause I mean, with, with nurses, if we, if we have no nurses or in the family, it is, it's thrown around a lot, but it is a community because it is a very, it's a stressful job. And I think um, there are pretty unique attributes and I can, I can see that. And, and John, with your kind of background, you're going through that process of, you know, getting that research and, you know, obviously the business opportunity you kind of realized was there, but you'd been at big companies when you're launching a go-to-market, how important was that to keep that ethos, I guess, uh, you know, front and center? Yeah, it's, it, it was super important. Um, and, and, uh, Brian and I both from the East coast, so we're both very skeptical of things, you know, and, <laughs> uh, and so, um, uh, and having, so your listeners can't see me, but listeners, I'm an old guy. Like I was, I've been in the business for almost 40 years. Um, and so my initial, uh, response was the last thing this world needs is another damn parachute, honestly. And, and, you know, I tell that all the time. Um, and it, the, uh, the atomacy of the nurse, when we, when Brian said we went out in the summer of 2019, it wasn't the, the feedback from the nurse wasn't so much of, yeah, if you do it right, we can have it and we'll accept you. The adamacy of it is, I want this, I want it now, and it's got to be X, Y, and Z. And if it's not, don't waste my time. Hmm. And the, the the blatancy of it, the adamacy of it was like, well, holy crap, I've, I've really heard that before. And the more we dug into it, the more we realized that not only was there an opportunity, um, but there was a huge opportunity here if done right. If you really listened to her, if you really responded to her needs, and we realized the skills that we had is we know how to put together some pretty good footwear, um, but we need her guidance. We needed her leadership in order to tell us, are we on the right track? Are we not on the right track? Um, and that's what we did. So we went from pure skepticism to like, oh my God, goodness, there's a much bigger opportunity here than we even originally thought. Well, we'll I wanna dive into like, let's nerd out about what those things are for the actual shoe. But that skepticism, I think is really a good, probably advice for other founders instead of going in like the world needs this. It's like the world doesn't need it unless proven otherwise a little bit and get that feedback, right? Oh, uh, well, that's, yeah, that's science, right? That's, yeah. that's how we're based it, yeah. is like, you know, you're, you're trying to disprove a principle, you know? right? Yeah. Um, that's how we addressed it. And that's how we are addressing everything now is, is we're testing. It's, it's a data-driven thing. Now we, we yeah. need to understand it's right before we double down on things. It was refreshing. Cause I think in nowadays in some of our kind of hustle culture, it's the other way. It's just like, just put it out there. Right. Um, so I appreciate that. Well, let's get into the shoe itself or the footwear itself. So what are some of those attributes or things that the nurses kind of gave you feedback on and, and told you would be important? Yeah. 
Um, the, well, the stories that you get from nurses about why they need certain features are fantastic and like better than any like customer group um, I've ever worked for. I won't speak for John, mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately, like the problem that we're solving is footwear in market is all designed for other customers, and nurses were taking the one that has a feature that serves a specific need and like compromising on all else. So like the um. The, the historical nursing shoe is the the clog, um, which has a rigid sole and is fluid resistant. So you can stand in it all day. And when uh, an incontinent patient accidentally pees on you know her feet, it protects their feet. However, they look, uh, I'll use their language, geriatric um, in many cases, um, and they cause falls all the time. You know, there's codes in hospitals and, you know, we heard countless stories of nurses who were rushing to an emergency and then fell like flat on their face, um, you know, while running there. So it's all for that. Then there are a lot of nurses. We found seven or eight in 10 wearing, you know, modern running shoes. Think uh, Nike Pegasus or a Brooks Ghost. And, you know, one would believe that something a shoe designed for running, you know, is associated with comfort would be good. Well, the, the problems are a couple of fold. First, you know, running shoes are designed to cushion impact, not to distribute weight over a long period. And they're built to keep feet cool, you know, when you're running long periods and they tend to have uh, um, uh, uppers that are mesh and breathable. Mm -hmm. And that's not exactly ideal in an environment where uh, bodily fluids are everywhere. And so what we found the core problem was that, you know, nurses were, you know, having one problem solved and compromising. And, you know, we look at nurses as, you know, they're on their feet all day. They're exerting themselves. You know, they're high performance athletes. And, you know, at Nike, when you design a shoe, it enhances performance. You know, no Nike athlete looks at their shoes as something they might compromise on. That shoe is going to enable them to win a gold medal, to perform at their highest. And so, you know, we set out to create a shoe that would serve all of their needs with no compromise and enhance performance. Hmm. Um. So I guess uh, there's a couple of things you point out, like the distribution and the the, uh, the bodily fluids thing is really good kind of detail because you don't think about it as someone who's not in the industry. So yeah, I don't you, know what the rating on your show is, but we can get into some pretty graphic stories. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll hold off maybe <laughs> yeah. on that, but we, we get the gist. But I think that's um, really good at, at detail. So when get into the business a little bit and when did you launch? Because from what I understand, you launched during the pandemic and I might be wrong. So John, I don't, you can correct me. On some of the timeline. No, we uh, we started. Brian and I actually formalized it. Uh, you know, the business. And uh, when was it? It was the end of two thousand nineteen. December of nineteen is when we yeah. incorporated and went all in. Yeah, um, and then and then what we did is, is we put things together. Um, you know, we got product, product testing. I mean, we went through the. Uh, the normal uh, go-to-market, if right. you will, pieces, um, and did a pre-sale uh, in what was it, Brian? September or October? September. Of, September. Right of, after uh, all the smoke cleared. Wow, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, September of 2020, um, yeah. and did a pre-sale just as uh, proof of commercial viability and traction, um, and that went um, quite well, uh, very, very well, better than we had expected. 
um, again, because of our partners, because of our focus on a nurse and because of the product that, that came out that was uh, really what the nurse needs. And, and I have to say, at first, the product, when we, when we tested it, it didn't, it didn't perform on all of the levels that we had hoped to. And the nurse gave us some really strong feedback about change this, this, and this, and make sure that it does work. Otherwise, you're not listening to us. And we hustled uh, over the, the course of that uh, month and a half or so to get the changes done before we went to production, made the changes. And then um, w- when we delivered, the nurse was quite excited that uh, we had actually listened to her and, and brought t- to market uh, what, what she had expected. Um, and then um, we delivered, we promised a delivery by Christmas of uh, 2020 or holiday season of 2020, did that. Um, and then uh, launched formally on 111 on January 11th wow. is when we uh, actually were open for business. So it's not it's not even been yeah. you wow. know six full months. How's it going? Uh, exceedingly well. Um, you know, when you're a founder, you get to go on this journey of remembering what it was like when you were first like recruiting nurses to mm. actually talk to you about an idea to. You know, today we have, uh, you know, since doing a pre-sale and launching in January, we have 30,000, you know, customers, you know, wow. almost all of whom are exceedingly happy. 15% of them have already made a repeat purchase, which is buying a second colorway or buying wow. a second use. Um, we have, you know, 10 full-time employees and we're, you know, overwhelmed with the the talent that we've been able to bring into the organization. And, um you know, we've raised two rounds of capital that uh, enabled us to get off the ground and make the investments uh, that we needed to. So, you know, it, it's amazing how quickly things have grown from idea to products to, you know, growth stage company. You talked about talent and it's on top of everybody's mind. And we're, we're here in Portland, you're competing against some other footwear companies here. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you had contacts before, but what, um, what did you do to kind of bring these people over? And obviously it's an exciting uh, new company, but it's also, from what I understand, a, a tough time to get talent. Well, yeah. a, a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, again, listeners, you can't see me. I'm an old man. Um, I've got so many years, a couple of, you know, some decades of, of tendrils and connective tissue into the industry. So um, I have the ability to understand who's available, what the talent levels are. So um, I, I was able to reach out to a network and be able to tap some really good local talent to begin with. Um, so that's number one. Um, and, and that's the experienced talent. That's the talent where you need really good design folks, you need good operations folks, whatever. Um, the second uh, source of talent is, again, local. Um, you know, Brian mentioned before the uh, University of Oregon SPM, Sports Product Management Program, um, which I teach at. Um, and um, we, we have hired um, either full-time hires or interns from uh, that uh, that program currently, we have over half of our folks have connections to wow. um, that that program, and so that's been an amazing pipeline of of talent at all levels. And that's that's a kudos to the program, of course, but it's also kudos to the the, the folks who come out of that program and are able to hit the ground running. 
Um, and then third piece and final piece is, is that we grew up in the pandemic. Like this business was born in, in the pandemic. And so therefore, we, you know, our, our business knows no bounds. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like technology is caught up. Capabilities are caught up. Expectations have caught up. So mm-hmm. currently we're recruiting from all around the United States. Um, mm-hmm. And we're every single day we're talking to somebody somewhere else that is part of our business that isn't in Portland. But the, the raw talent and the core of our business is in and from yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think it's important, no matter what industry you are, and to, to talk about that. And John, I like you more. I'm a duck, so I I like the connection, <laughs> the Uvo connection. Um, we, a couple of things I think would be interesting to give your perspectives on is you're both you both had kind of corporate careers, and then I don't know if this is your first startup or not, but then you know you're entrepreneurs now. Uh, what are some advice or lessons you can share of making you know, crossing that chasm? Oh. And uh, we, we could do a whole episode <laughs> right. um, about this. Um, the The most important thing for me, I would say, is how important it is to constantly understand your surroundings and adapt your performance, adapt the way you show up, you know, to your surroundings. Um, you know, when you're in, you know, the pure startup phase. Um, it's really different than, you know, working at a place like Nike. It's a, it's a different skill set, not better, worse, or otherwise. It's just different. And then, you know, when you get out of the, you know, zero to one phase um, and, you know, you're, you're beyond a million dollars, you've got a company to grow, then it's a different skill set again. Mm-hmm. And then you grow quickly and it's a different way to show up again. And so, you know, the, I would say number one is, you know, bias for action, always growing, always learning. But that constant reevaluation of what's needed from you as a leader in the environment is of utmost importance because what you did before is probably different than what's needed in the new environment. And uh, you have to be able to change to match what's needed. Yeah. And if I, if I could add on to that too, is I like, you know, uh, there's a speed component here that is absolutely necessary um, you know, when, when you're large, um, and you've got a, a brand behind you, um, you can afford to do things, maybe, you know, contemplate things, do things a little bit more slowly, get it right, or at least get it more right. Um, before you proceed, when you're tiny, you, you, you don't have that capability. You have to move. And then as Brian said, then you have to adjust. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing is, um, really, it's a it's a constant mindset of change. Uh, again, Brian mentioned this, but I can't tell you enough how how the every single day throws something different at you, and you've got to be willing and able to actually change along with that, and realize that nothing's stable, nothing yeah. is stable at all, and if you don't do it, um, there isn't anybody else that's going to get it done, and so mm-hmm. you have to change your stripes, change your feathers. You've got to change on a daily basis um, to really address the needs of the day. Mm-hmm. How's it, how's it been for you two though, personally doing that? I, I mean, it sounds like, you know, everything's going well with the company, but I'm sure there's days where it's pretty tough. Oh, like without a doubt. Um, 
you know, one of my favorite books is uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz. And uh, he talks about, you know, the most important thing, you know, a startup founder needs to do is manage their own psychology. And, you know, I, you know, it's one thing to read that in a book before you do a a startup. And then it's another thing um, to do it. And, you know, John mentioned before how every day is something different. And the weight of decisions is bigger, especially when you're in growth mode. And so, you know, being able to manage that on a day-to-day business and being able on a day-to-day basis while managing yourself as like an entire human being, you know, John and I talk a lot about the, the importance of somehow finding separation between personal life and business life when you're in a job that is 100% always on. And so, you know, what I think a lot about is the most difficult thing is the effect on the people around you. Um, You know, I give a a ton of credit to my wife, you know, for being able to do this, because when you do a business, there's just like shrapnel that flies all over your life everywhere. Like I was just on the East Coast for the first time uh, visiting my parents a couple of weeks ago, and I intended to spend a few days, you know, seeing they're both retired and hadn't seen them since for the pandemic. And I had to work for, you know, most of the days. And I think they think my job is just talking on my AirPods in their driveway, <laughs> you know, endlessly. But, you know, it, like doing this, like it's a long way of saying, like it strains relationships around you and being able to manage that is one of the most difficult things that is a constant practice. That's great. Oh, and that, yeah. And I, and I got to say, so to answer, uh, this is, you know, uh, my, the Jersey bluntness coming through from John. I like it. His, Jersey John. John. Jersey John is coming through. He's like, this is the hardest thing I've, I've ever done. I, I, I've, I've been, you know, in many different businesses with many different brands in many different countries around the world um, with all that have their own complexities and challenges. But this thing is, is like, it's super hard and you're not trained for it. Like you've got to have that, DNA, you know, that, that desire for pain, like, like I'm an ultra runner or I used to be before I broke down, like I'm an ultra runner. And, you know, there's, there's stages of ultra running, you know, from then the very beginning fearing it and like, you know, kicking it off all the way to like, like, ex- like accepting it and desiring it, you know, like yeah. give me the pain, give me the suffering. And, and I, I would liken that to a lot to starting your own business because you have to be willing and open and be able um, to accept that every single day, um, you, you know, push. Um, and sometimes it's good. And like, but what you said, Dan, is sometimes it's hard as hell. Yeah. And you got to be willing to accept it, make sure you get through it, bring your team through it. Um, and it, it ain't easy and you, you lose sleep. Yeah, you know, you you lose some of your healthy habits, uh, um, but it's worth it because you're you're growing something and you're growing people um, to the point of where you never thought you had the capabilities mm. to do so. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. I think that's super valuable advice. I appreciate you um, sharing that. Well, as we end, I always love to talk about Portland. I mean, we're all Portland invested mm-hmm. in Portland. It sounds we're saying you're starting a business here. We're saying here. Um, as we look to just the future of Portland in regards to business and companies, I mean, I think I, I can kind of get, you're pretty optimistic about it, but what are your, your thoughts just as far as, you know, what we have going for us, but maybe some headwinds we have just as a mid-market town and, and things like that as far as 
business-wise? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm responding slowly because there's so many different things to think about. Um, in in terms of things we have going for us, you know, the the access to talent, particularly in footwear here, is already amazing. And it's growing with, you know, the emergence of um, programs like the U of O SPM program. Um, it's growing um, as, you know, different universities in the area retain talent. We were, our team was just up at the UP nursing school the other day, and I was talking to the lead on the innovation program in their business school and the ways cool. they're, um, they're, they're growing. And so the, the emergence of, you know, innovation and education, you know, is creating, you know, opportunity for all sorts, you know, of talent. You know, in, in terms of, you know, headwinds, um, you know, Portland, you know, from my point of view is at an interesting space. I look at Portland as this, you know, teenager growing up. I mean, I came from Philadelphia where there's, you know, seven or eight major universities that attract and retain talent. There's unlimited jobs and ample housing. Um, you know, here we're a smaller town. Uh, my wife and I just bought a house so I can speak to like what a ta difficult task um, yeah. that is. And, uh, you know, it's an impediment for people, you know, wanting to move here. So that that's definitely a headwind, you know, coming just access to housing and places for talented people to go. And John, you've seen that part of it change a lot, but I would like to get your thoughts as well. No, absolutely. And, and the, the good news about it, Dan, is, is that um, if there is any silver lining at all through uh, what we've gone through the last year and change, um, it's changed behaviors of of how workplaces work, um, and and so even though we are physically we're incorporate or C corporation in Portland, you know, state of Oregon in Portland, Oregon, um, that doesn't mean all your talent has to be specifically here. Um, again, technology and capabilities, understanding behaviors, they've all caught up to the point where you can operate pretty damn efficiently and effectively from virtually anywhere. And you just have to make that effort and understand how to adapt to it. Um, and so that, you know, as Brian said, this town has incredible talent when it comes to the footwear side. And thank goodness, because we've tapped into a lot of it. Yeah. Um, um, where those talents aren't, we're able these this today to reach out to New York City or to go elsewhere. Um, and be able to tap into the talent almost without missing a step. Well, John and Brian, just really appreciate you sharing the story. Where can people find out more? Uh, you can check out uh, our website, uh, www.wearefala.com. And uh, you can check out um, our Instagram at, uh, at wearefala. Great. And what about you two? Where people can maybe connect with you or learn more about you two? Oh, um, it's LinkedIn. You know, okay. I, I have a yeah. we LinkedIn page, Brian Lockard. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, get me through Bala. So John at wearebala.com. Yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. Brian at wearebala.com. <laughs> Bam. Hey, I like the, fir the first name emails. That's important about the startup, right? <laughs> you got to have those. So, uh, John, Brian, th thanks so much. Thanks, Thank man. you so much. The PDX executive podcast is a production of that cast a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.